All right, today we're in week nine of our series, Unlikely Heroes. <clears throat> and if you've known me for any period of time, you know that it's very rare for me to do a series that goes nine weeks. Uh, usually six weeks is where uh, I stop because I get bored with the sermon series pretty quickly if it goes beyond six weeks. And uh, there's nothing worse than sitting through a sermon that the pastor himself is bored with. You know, that's not good. There's a fine line between a boring sermon and a hostage situation, you know. So, you know, I don't want to do that. But I've been enjoying this series that we're going through. And uh, we're going to wrap up Elijah today. And then next week, I'll introduce you to a guy who had everything going for him, uh, but it just was never enough. And uh, unfortunately, it cost him everything. So you're going to want to hear that story starting next week. And, uh, you know, one thing I want you to see through this series is the fact that God uses normal people. We tend to take the characters from the Bible and just think that they, they started off as these heroic individuals, these amazing individuals. Can I just say they were normal people? They were people like you and me that God just said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you and I want to use you. They weren't superstars. They weren't superheroes. They were just ordinary people. James 5, talking about Elijah, said that he was a human just like you and me. In fact, the reality is Elijah wasn't nearly as polished as most of you are here today. Um, the Bible tells it, the Bible doesn't really describe the looks of people very often. There's only a couple people that the Bible actually says what they look like. And Elijah happens to be one of them. Uh, it says that Elijah was a hairy person. So he probably had long hair, long beard, hairy arms. You know, he just was a hairy individual. He wore this, he wore this, this cloak thing that was cinched together in the middle with his leather belt. Um, he was just kind of a, I don't know, probably kind of scary looking, you know, uh, kind of, he, he wore this, the, the, this, uh, cape kind of thing they called a mantle over his shoulders. Um, I think if you were to see him coming and describe the word, you would just say he, he was kind of rugged. He was kind of a kind of a man's man, so that's what we know as far as what he looks like. Um, let me give you a little refresher if you've missed the last two weeks uh, about Elijah. What we've learned so far, we've learned that he can confronted the wicked king Ahab uh, about the fact that he was leading the country to worship Baal and Asherah. Uh, Elijah prayed that the rain and the dew would stop, and it did for a period of three and a half years. Then, then Elijah was in the wilderness, and he experienced the first DoorDash delivery when the, late, or the ravens brought him food, and he miraculously uh, fed the uh, widow woman, and he brought her son back to life. Then he faced the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel, and uh, uh, God showed up and consumed everything, the sacrifice with the fire, and, and, then, and then Elijah went out and he killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, just an amazing story. And then, with all of the false prophets dead, God tells Elijah, now I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to tell him that I'm going to send the rain. It's going to rain again after three and a half years. In fact, it's not just going to rain. It's going to be a gully washer. Uh, this is going to be a big rain. So go tell Ahab he needs to get moving. That's where we're going to pick it up. 1 Kings 17, 44. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot 
and go down before the rain stops you. So it's going to be a big rain. Meanwhile, the sky drew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that for these next few moments, that our attention would just be drawn to you. And God, how you worked in Elijah's life. God, I don't want people leaving here today saying, wow, Elijah was an amazing person. I want them leaving here today saying, wow, God is an awesome God. So God, I pray that as we just look into your word, just open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to the truth you'd have us to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the storm clouds are rolling in. The rain has started to fall. And Ahab needs to get from Mount Carmel where he was back to Jezreel where his palace was. And uh, so Elijah tells him, says, go, you need to, you need to get going. Hook up your... Hook up your horses to the chariot and get going. It's a 22-mile journey from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel, where they were. <clears throat> now let's pick it up. Verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I just think this is cool, you know? I mean, you know, it's starting to rain, and Elijah is outrunning the king's chariot, which is being pulled by a horse, while Elijah is wearing a cloak that's tucked into his belt in the midst of a heavy rain. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, this may surprise you, but I'm not a runner. <laughs> And my gut tells me that Elijah wasn't either until this day. Just think, how fun would it be to outrun a team of horses for 22 miles? Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I just think that'd be awesome. I mean, you would think that, well, for Elijah, I mean, in his life, it's just been one miracle after another. <clears throat> and if I was Elijah, I'd be feeling pretty good about myself, right? I mean, you'd think that Elijah would be in his mind thinking, I need to write a book, you know, and I, you know, I need to get on the radio. I mean, I, everything in my world is coming up roses here, and, and things are going great. But let's pick it up in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. <clears throat> now Ahab told Jezebel, remember Ahab's the bad king, Jezebel's the really bad wife, uh, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. <clears throat> So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah hit a wall. He crashed hard. From the mountaintop to the depth of the valley in a moment's notice. What triggered Elijah? 
It was the fact that Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And, uh, you know, with that one word from the messenger, everything in Elijah's demeanor changed. He just immediately crashed. Have, have you ever had an email ruin your day? Anybody? One simple email, everything's going good, an email comes and, you, and everything's terrible. You know, our text message or somebody posts a comment on something that you put on social media and all of a sudden it ruins your day. Well, then you know a little bit here how Elijah felt. Now you would think that Elijah wouldn't be afraid of anything, right? I mean, literally he had just outrun a horse. I'd be feeling good about myself, you know? He'd called down fire from heaven. He raised a person from the dead and his prayers stopped the rain and the dew for three and a half years. You would think that Elijah would have responded like Clint Eastwood. How many remember this? Go ahead. Make my day. That's what I'd have said if I had been Elijah. Go ahead. Make my day. But he didn't. It says he was afraid and he ran for his life. What a stunning response. Hard to believe. You see, I think in Elijah's mind, what he thought was after Jezebel heard that the fire had come down and that the prophets of Baal and Asherah, you know, weren't able to do it, but Jehovah God did that she would say, hmm, well, evidently your God was the right God, our God was the wrong God, and so we're now the whole nation's going to serve Jehovah God. I think that's what Elijah assumed in his mind was going to happen. So when the, when the messenger came, he was probably expecting that message. And instead, he heard, I'm going to kill you. Now here's an important lesson. When there is a gap between expectation and reality, that is often the breeding ground for discouragement and depression. When this is what you were expecting, but this is what happened, when there is a gap between those two things, that becomes a breeding ground for discouragement, depression, and despair. I was expecting this, but that happened. He thought everything was gonna be good, but he found out it wasn't. So you know what that meant for Elijah? The battle is still on. The battle between Elijah and Jezebel was still gonna rage. Basically, she had put a target on his back. And, uh, you know, he just came to the place where he couldn't take it anymore. Maybe that's happened to you at some point. Maybe, maybe you thought when you finally got married that things were going to get better. But then they didn't. It actually got worse. Maybe you thought your kids were going to choose this path, but instead they chose that path and went off into left field. Maybe you thought that medical test was just going to be routine and it was going to come back and everything was going to be fine. It was all going to show everything clear, but it didn't. It showed something concerning. Perhaps you thought that your spouse was going to conquer that disease and you were going to get back to enjoying retirement. But it didn't happen. They passed away. When there's a gap between expectation and reality, what you thought would happen and what actually happened, you become vulnerable to discouragement and depression. So what did Elijah do? 
Well, probably the worst thing he could do, verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He went into isolation. He ran away. It says that he left his servant. Well, his servant was probably with him almost 24-7. His servant was probably his confidant, his advisor, his encourager. His, his, his servant was probably the person that he sat and had meals with on a regular occasion. His servant was probably the one that he talked to about what was going on in his life. And at this critical moment, when, when he hit the wall, <clears throat> he said, I just want to be alone. And that's a dangerous thing to do because we need people. We were created for community. It's not good for man to be alone. You and I were created to be in relationship with other people. When you're depressed, when you're discouraged, the last thing you need is to be left alone. You need an encourager. You need a confidant. You need an advisor. You need a friend. Even if that friend doesn't have a single word that they can say that's going to cheer you up, just them sitting in the room with you is what you need. You need to let them. There needs to be somebody in your life that can ask the questions that need to be asked. Elijah needed somebody to say to him, Elijah, don't you remember what God did to the false prophets? Elijah, don't you remember how God took care of you by bringing food to you by the ravens? Don't you remember how God used you to provide food for the widow? And then you raised her son from the dead. Don't you remember that? Elijah, why are you fearing God's got your back? But Elijah didn't have a voice of reason because he had isolated himself. When you're going through a tough time in life, the last thing you should do is run away. Don't stop meeting with people. Don't quit church. Don't quit connect group. Don't start ghosting your family and friends, especially when they're reaching out to try and help you. Verse four, it says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. There was no fight left in him. In his mind, he would rather just be done than to have to live another day. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you just said, Lord, <laughs> I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't take another day. Well, if so, then you, you'll probably understand Elijah. Elijah was experiencing burnout. And when we experience burnout, it just causes us to wonder, is it ever going to get any better? Despair and fear and resentment they erode our self-esteem until anger and worry take root. And then they just begin their slow process of, of destroying our confidence and eroding our sense of purpose. I think if I was a betting man, I'd say most of us at some point have said that, Lord, I've had enough. I don't think I can take any more of this. Elijah had been in the battle for three and a half consecutive years from the time that God led him to go confront Ahab until, until he conquered the prophets and God sent the rain. It was three and a half years of battle, 24-7. 
And even though Elijah won every battle, he was spent. There was no fight left in him. Can I say this, folks? We need to remember that big victories can be emotionally draining. You know, we tend to think that it's the failures that are emotionally draining, but big victories can also be emotionally draining because you've put all of your energy and effort and everything you have into this. And whatever it is, you fill in the blank for whatever this is in your life. And you won. You were successful. You achieved it. And on the backside of it, you're exhausted and you find yourself just saying, I don't think I can take it, I don't, I can't take it anymore. Because even big victories can be emotionally draining. Have you ever known somebody that was on the top of the world and then they crashed and burned? Listen, good people can be tempted to do bad things. Smart people can end up doing dumb things. And godly people can end up making some ungodly choices. Even after big victories. In fact, it might surprise you how quickly you can go from being a hero to being a zero when you're drained. Elijah was at a place where he just said, I'm done. So what happened next? Verse five, he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. This is my favorite angel in the Bible. <laughs> this, <laughs> this angel isn't named, but I like to call him Panera. <laughs> he just shows up with hot bread. I'm like, you're my kind of angel. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> but I think it's interesting here that Elijah eats the bread, drinks the water, rolls back over and goes right back to sleep. In his exhaustion, in his discouragement, in his depression, in his despair, he missed God's blessing in his life. He missed yet another miracle that God had done for him because he wasn't in a place where he could see it. He slept through it. You would think that at this point, God would call Elijah out and say, hey, buddy, it's time for you to get your act together. It's time for you to quit this pity party. It's time for you to get back on your feet. But that's not what God did. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. So verse seven, God sends more food to Elijah and tells him you need some nourishment for the journey ahead. This is a subtle way of God telling Elijah that his story is not over yet. So you need food for the journey ahead. You've got a journey ahead. I'm not done with you yet. God still has plans for you. You know, some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning. You just need to hear that God's not done with you yet. He still has plans for you. Don't listen to your flesh when your flesh says, my story is over. Your story is not yet complete. Say it with me. If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose, right? 
when God's done with you, you'll know. You won't feel anything here. But if you're still, your heart is still beating, God still has a plan for you. Verse 8, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So once he'd regained his strength, God sent him on a journey to Horeb. And uh, when you look at all the battles that Elijah faced, standing up to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, surviving the famine, which wasn't easy, facing the false prophet, when you look at all those battles that he faced, you know what it was that knocked him off of his feet? It was his own physical, emotional, and spiritual fatigue. It wasn't the enemies that got him. It was spiritual, emotional, and physical fatigue. He was spent. He was worn out. Things aren't as bad as you think they are. But it feels that way because we have a tendency to look through the lens of exhaustion. And so everything seems overwhelming. And that may be where you're at this morning. You may be feeling overwhelmed. And you may have had some, some victories and you may have experienced some great things and you may have even seen God do some miraculous things in your life, but you are at the end of your rope. You are, you are exhausted. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine. Paul understood us. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, that's God's power, is made perfect in what? Weakness. So what Paul say? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God doesn't become more powerful. It's that in our weakness, God gets an opportunity to display his power. So if life's circumstances are leaving us feeling weak and powerless, well, that happens because we're human. And you know, many of us, we think we're the only ones going through the battle. We think that we're the only ones that are facing this. We're the only ones that have had to deal with this particular situation. We, we get into this, I'm the only one, woe is me. And that's what Elijah did. Look at verse nine. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? No, Elijah's in a cave, right? Elijah is in a cave. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. You see, the circumstances in Elijah's life had blocked his view of God's power and provision. Here's Elijah. Here's the problems. Here's God's power. But because Elijah was here, he couldn't see beyond his problems to see that a big, powerful God was right on the other side. He couldn't see it. You ever been to a situation where in your mind you thought, I'm not even sure God can find a solution to this problem. I'm not even sure God can get me out of this situation. 
When that happens, you've lost perspective. You've, you've completely lost perspective. And don't feel bad. Uh, it happens to good people. It happened to an unlikely hero named Elijah. And if it happened to him, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. But I'm just glad that God doesn't abandon us when we get into a dark place. Aren't you? Instead, he shows up in the most unexpected ways. God reveals his presence to us in just ways that are just kind of unbelievable. Let's pick it up. Verse 11. So remember, he's in a cave, right? The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, listen to this. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you hiding in a cave? God spoke to Elijah. And that's probably what Elijah needed most, just to simply hear from God. And maybe you're like, you know what? I wish God would speak to me like he spoke to Elijah. Can I just say that he already has? God has already spoken to you. God has given you his word. Another illustration I love. God's mouth is open. God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. God's mouth is closed. You get the picture? You say, yeah, but I wish I, wish I could hear the audible voice of God. Okay, then read it out loud. You know? <laughs> you can hear God speak to you. Just read his word. When you look at this passage, God got Elijah's attention. The wind, the earthquake, the fire, they were all displays of God's power. But God didn't come to him in those things. What Elijah needed was intimacy. The same God that had stopped the rains and that had told the birds to take him food, that raised the widow's son, that brought down fire from heaven, was the same God who would reach out his arms and embrace Elijah in his weakness. Because God cared for Elijah and God cares for you. Elijah just needed to hear the soft calming voice of God speak into his life and his situation. Elijah needed to know that God had not forgotten him. God had not abandoned him. God did not give up on him. You see, God's presence always restores our perspective. There's so much more to Elijah's story. We literally could have spent eight weeks on Elijah. I encourage you to just continue reading through First and Second Kings here to read the rest of his story. Elijah went on to train his successor, a man named Elisha. And then uh, Elijah uh, was taken to heaven in a fiery whirlwind. God just kind of brought him up. And as he did that, Elijah passed the mantle on to the next generation, that cloaky thing that he wore over his shoulders. He passed that on to Elisha and then Elijah moved on to glory. 
Great, great story. So as we wrap up here this morning, I just want to give you three concluding thoughts. Number one, you can be perfectly aligned with God's will for your life and still suffer from exhaustion and burnout. Some of you just need some physical rest. You need to take a break. You need to relax. You need to realize that you're in this for the long haul. Find a place where you can just get some rest. Get the sustenance you need to rebuild yourself. Pushing through it and toughing it out. Quite frankly, I'm going to make things worse. If you start to feel yourself burning out, take care of your physical body. Get rest, get food, make sure you're drinking good stuff. You need, you need to take care of your physical body. If your physical body starts to, everything, it starts to sap energy and, and, and everything from everything else. So you got to take care of yourself. Secondly, be honest with God about how you're feeling. I love the fact that Elijah was very candid with God. He felt all alone. He said, God, just take, I don't want to live anymore. I can't live like this. I don't like my life right now. I don't like the situation I'm facing. I don't like having a target on my back. I would rather just be dead, God. Elijah was very straightforward with God about how he was feeling. And can I say, that may be exactly what you need to do. You may need to have a candid conversation with God where you tell him exactly how you're feeling and know the fact that he's big enough to take it. And the reality is he already knows how you're feeling. But just the very act of you verbalizing it many times helps. Third, after a time of replenishing, you get back in the game. Resist the urge to quit. After God walked Elijah through this process, in verse 15, he told him, go back the way you came. He got him right back out there. Get back up on the horse and go. Because burnout is not your final destination. There's still life. There's still purpose ahead of you waiting for you to get back in the game, to find your right place, to find your right ministry, to pour out your life into others. Maybe you're here and, and you can kind of, you've kind of been in your own cave, or maybe you're under your, your own broom bush feeling like God's done with you. You used to see God do things. You used to hear from God. You haven't heard anything from God. You're not feeling anything and you're kind of, maybe you just need to reconnect with God today. Get back into his word. Spend some time in prayer. Tell him how you're feeling. Get some help. Get some counsel. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, there's safety. At Venture, we have a, we have a, a partnership with Southwest Florida Christian Counseling. And uh, we, will, we will pay your first six counseling sessions if you need us to. We'll be happy to do so. If you'd like to sit down with a trained counselor and uh, a godly biblical counselor and help you uh, kind of sort through whatever's going on in your life, um, we'll, we'll help. We'll, we'll cover that for you. 
just just reach out to, to us, one of us at the office, and we'll we'll let Southwest Florida Christian Counseling know to be expecting your call. And we'll send them a message saying we're going to cover the first six sessions. Uh, we'll do that for you because we want to help you. Our mission is to guide people in a growing relationship with Christ. And sometimes part of that growth in our relationship with Christ is getting some good counsel. I'd love to destigmatize the whole idea of counseling. Let's just change the name to coaching. It's okay to have a coach, right? Well, get a coach, somebody that'll just kind of talk and help you through what you're going through. Of course, the pastors on staff will help as much as we can. If you need anything, you can always reach out to any one of us. But I don't want you. I don't want you in a cave. I don't want you hiding. I don't want you to feel like your life is done. Your ministry days are over. That you know you're, you can't be used anymore. None of that's true. God can still use you, and He will use you. Jesus talked to his disciples, and He said this: "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe that's what you need this morning. You need some rest for your soul. Reach out to your friends. Talk to that Christian that will give you the right words, that counselor, that, that, that friend. Be willing to tell somebody you're struggling and that you're going through a battle. You don't know how much more of this you can take. Tell somebody. Get some help. Get the rest that you need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's so encouraging to see, God, that you cared for Elijah in the midst of his burnout and his depression. When Elijah just couldn't see how he could go on any further, that, God, you were there. You knew exactly what he needed. And Lord, when it was a hot meal and a cool drink, you gave it to him. When it was a night's rest, you let him sleep. God, you know what each person in this room needs. Every person in this room has a different situation. They're facing different battles. Some are celebrating victories and some are licking their wounds from defeat. But God, through it all, we need you. And we're so grateful, God, that you're a gracious, loving, and merciful God. You're a God who loves to restore and to strengthen. You're a God that speaks to us in a still, small voice, sometimes just to say it's going to be okay. So God, I don't know what each person in this room needs, but God, you do. We know that your Holy Spirit is present in this room, and God, I pray that you would use the preaching of your word today to minister to hearts. So, Father, we just praise you this morning. We thank you. And, uh, God, I pray uh, that you would, you would just speak to hearts in need here this morning, especially those who are hurting, God. Just give them your comfort, Lord, we pray. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.